Good afternoon and welcome to episode 21 of Sherborne Voices podcast for Wednesday the 6th of October 2021. My name's Sue Hill and I'll be with you for the next half hour. And on today's programme we have an interview with a lady who looked after her mother who had dementia. We have a fair amount of what's on items and we also have a report from me on the walk I did about the Sherborne bombing in 1940. So sit back with a cup of tea or a glass of wine or whatever you fancy and listen to today's episode. Last week was a bit of a milestone for the podcast because we had two new members at the community choir on Sunday who came along as a result of hearing about the choir on the podcast, which in turn they'd learned about through the Facebook page Sherborne News and Views. So it just shows that these bits of social media with events going out on them actually work. Now I need to follow this up because Holly, who runs the choir, was so busy with us um, on Sunday that she didn't take a note of the contact details of Graham and Diana. And she's very anxious that they may not have the dates of choir for this term up to December. And particularly as we will not be meeting next Sunday, the 10th of October. So, Graham and Diana, if you get in touch either with me, Sue at SherbourneVoicesPodcast.com or with Holly via the Sherborne Community Choir Facebook page, we can make sure that you get the details of when we're meeting. I don't know if you saw the BBC documentary called Dementia and Us last night, uh, which follows the lives of four people who have dementia and their carers. I have a couple of friends with dementia at the moment and the programme kind of ties in neatly with what I've been thinking about and indeed with a recording that I'm about to play you of an interview with a lady who looked after her mum who had dementia. This has been provided by Rob at Felixstowe Radio. Very kindly offered it to anyone who wants to play it. If you want to follow up the programme, it'll be on iPlayer and there's a second part next week. But they are also providing advice at bbc.co.uk forward slash dementia and us, all one word. So if you have a loved one, a friend or a relative who has dementia and could do with a little bit of support, you might like to tell them about it. But for now, here's the interview between Rob and Helen. Helen's with me now. Helen, you became a carer for your mum, didn't you? Because it's one of those things you hadn't planned on being a carer. You weren't a professional carer, but you just had to do it. That's right. Yes, you do what you have to do when the time comes. It's not easy. Your mum suffered with dementia. Taking me back to when you first noticed or when it was first noticeable, what happened? 
We first noticed when she started to contradict what we were saying and uh, getting confused. And so the doctor sent her to the hospital. She did the memory test and that was when we realised that she was starting to get the dementia. And then about two or three years later, we started to realise that that was getting worse. And, And that would have been about 2006 when that really became more noticeable. It's scary, isn't it? Because it's your mum, but you start seeing the characteristics starts changing, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Uh, she was my mum for another couple of years, and then she was she just wasn't my mum. She wasn't behaving like my mum. She was such a clever lady. She was able to knit, so she made me a kilt in the full pleats of a Scottish kilt. She's been really clever, painting, art, cooking, and then suddenly she gets confused when she's stitching something and it just became really difficult to... Was it obvious that you were going to have to care for her then? Were decisions made then or was it one of those things oh, you yes, don't talk yes. about? Well, we had already moved in with her. We knew that was coming. We knew that she was going to need us to live with her. So we sold up and we rented a house until she needed us and she had a hip that needed to replacing and so then we moved in with her and started looking after her. But she was fine then and then that gradually increased and, and we were already living there so we sort of lived with it as it happened. Was there a deciding date when you thought it's, no. it's gone a long way or was it so gradual? Very gradual. It, it's not something that happens overnight. It's something really really gradual it's just little things you notice it's just silly little things one day she i mean she's a brilliant gardener too grew her own seeds she absolutely brilliant and uh one day she said i'm gonna go out and do some weeding well she did a patch about a yard meter long along the border she didn't just weed it she stripped it down to the dirt she took all my plants out and i said to her Oh, Mummy, what have you done? I said, you've taken it. You've pulled all the plants out. And I should have said, oh, that looks lovely. But I was learning, and it's a hard job to learn. So then, having said to her, you've taken all the plants out, she went indoors, and she was crying, and said, never going to go in the garden again. I, no, I'm never going to garden. I'm not going to do anything else. And I felt really, really bad. But you, you don't have anyone to advise you in advance. What's going to happen? So what, happened. so what did you do? I mean, um, you're there. I mean, you you just, you do need help. I mean, people in that situation, they need to talk to someone because it's, if you, if someone's broken a leg or they fall down or, or do something, it's physical, you can do it. If something like yes. that, there's no there's no book telling you what to do, is there? So how, where did you get I mean, help? We, we did speak to someone from the Alzheimer's Society and they were helpful, but they couldn't prepare us, however much they said or did. They couldn't prepare us for actually when it happens uh it's it's something you learn as you go and i would love to be able to tell people to to be prepared to understand that they have no idea what you're talking about and that if they've said something that is a fact even if it's completely wrong if they say blue is green then blue is green that day because that's what they think so what would you do just say yes mummy that's that's right right. and and be happy yeah I, i learned that and my husband was brilliant. I mean, my husband living with his mother-in-law. I mean, she'd been good to him over the years, true, but he was absolutely brilliant with her. He would say to me, come on, let's take her out. We'll put her in the car and take her down to Felixstowe. We'd go and sit on the waterfront on the dock area um, and watch the big ships coming in. She just she just loved that, and she enjoyed it. And we'd take her to Felixstowe in a wheelchair along the front, get some chips. She 
just enjoyed being out. I'm going on a bit now, aren't no, I? No, you're, you're not. You're telling the story that everybody, so many people listening will identify that. But I, I'm, I'm worried about you and your husband. I mean, it's, it is constant. Well, it's, I it's, was very it, lucky. I've got, we've got a strong relationship. I've got a lovely husband and we work together mm-hmm. and he was brilliant. But it was hard. I mean, I used to cry because my mum had gone. The person I was living with, I was loving and taking care of, but that wasn't my mum anymore. It was just dear little person who just kept getting everything wrong, and I had to agree with it. <laughs> so your mum, your mum never came back at all in between. Not not a few well, moments. Very rarely. We did go away. Well, we thought we needed a break, so we went away for one night. Got as far as Clayton, and the care home rang up and said, "You'll have to come back. We can't cope with her." Although she was in an Alzheimer's ward, and so I said, "We'll get the doctor. He'll he'll be all right because he she likes the doctor." Got as far as Norwich, paid for the hotel. Then we had to get money back and come home. My sister-in-law and niece picked her up from the home and took her back to ours. She was so cross with me. She was furious. She thought I put her in a home for good. You must, you must have felt wretched, both of you, because you, you, you feel like you're letting her down, although you, you know inside that you need that break. But, I mean, we were cross with her and we were cross with ourselves. But we, again, didn't understand that she wouldn't understand that we were just going for a, a little break. Despite the fact we told her many, many times, we're just going away for a night, have a little break, you have a little holiday, we'll be back tomorrow. But that doesn't go in, that isn't what she hears. She sees herself in a home, and that's it. And she, she, uh, she came been... home, and she looked at me, and she said, "Oh, you're back, you're home then." I was so cross because I'd been looking forward to a night away. She must have been. She must have been <laughs> so scared, though, your mum. Huh? Do you think? Sorry? Do you think your mum was scared? Yes, hmm. yes, I do. She used to get very frightened. Well, we, we lived together in the bungalow, and we set her up with a room. She had her bed and all her artwork and everything, her television, all her pictures on the wall, and. Um, she loved her room. That was her little haven. But she gradually got so she wanted to sit with us at night. And then it got so she was with us all day. And so we were never apart from her. And if we went shopping, we had to take her with us because she was frightened to stay at home. She didn't understand what was going on. She didn't understand that we were coming back. We just had to be with her all the time, which is why we needed to break, really. How do you think she saw you? Was it a, a, a carer or did she see you as the daughter still? Or had she had she forgotten I about you? sometimes... I, oh, she used to tell me that I was fantastic, I was wonderful, and that she loved me and thanked me for looking after her so well. And yes, she she sometimes saw us as a carer. And the day when we come home from Norwich later on that evening, she um, really got cross with me and she said, "Get out of my house! Get out! I don't want the council in here." She thought I was a carer in that home that we'd put in that day. She didn't realise she was home. And so she went through her room and she sat on her bed and she was crying and I went through and I knelt in front of her and I, I held her hand and I said, oh, mummy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she looked at me and she said, oh, you're my daughter. I haven't seen you for years. So just for that moment, she knew who I was. Uh, it's quite incredible how that brain, how that works and doesn't work. It's, um, really. Can, but, can uh, we jump forward to the time that she passed away? Because that must have been a different... She went to her day centre at the New Horizons at Woodbridge, which were brilliant with her. And that was um, the, the Thursday before the Christmas, about two days to Christmas. And she got presents and she got a plant in a pot. And she was so excited coming home and couldn't wait to tell me all about it. Walking up the path, holding her arm. And, she, and we got as far as the door and I let go of her arm just to unlock the door. And 
goodness knows what happened, but she went down, landed on her knee, which pushed up her leg, and she'd already had a hip replacement there, and that smashed the, 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 where the replacement was. So she had to go into hospital. She, had, she was in the surgery for seven hours, and she was 96. And they told us that they didn't think that she would live more than a month. When you look back now, could you could have done more for your mum. You're not blaming yourself now, are you? No, we couldn't have done more. We often say, thank goodness we did what we did. But you do have to be patient. Ten years, is, regret, ten years is a lot of patience, isn't it? We regret so much some of the things that happened early on where we didn't understand. If you're giving advice to somebody else who's... Who, my, whose parents, or maybe because it doesn't happen to it just happen to older people. Maybe it's a brother or sister or a son or daughter. You can see it's happening to them, and they're going to have to care. That give me some advice for for people in your position now, in in the position that you were then. If how would you advise yourself? What would you do? What would you say? Well, always let them be right. Never contradict them. Um, even when they're wrong, they're right. If they put all the plates and utensils and everything all in one cupboard, that's where they go. And you don't say, oh, they don't go in there. You wait until they've got, and you put them all away in the right places, and they have no idea that they're putting them in the wrong place. You just allow them to be themselves and do what they want to do. Don't try and dictate to them what they should do. And as for taking tablets, that was so difficult because she liked to look after her own tablets. And then she got to the point where she didn't know what she was doing. So I said, well, would you like me to put them out for you? Which I did. And then I had to put a little note to say, take these now. And then after a while, she would say, so I eat these now. And so you, you just have to be patient. You just have to say, yes, that's right. You can eat them now if you want. You don't say, well, you're not going to eat them. You're going to swallow them. You don't contradict can you imagine how intensely difficult it would be had you been on your own and with no one to talk to? Oh, gosh. To? Well, I do have a friend, and you know her well, and she has a husband who she's on her own and looking after, and that is so hard for her. Thank you for sharing that story. There's so many people affected by it now. It's a, it's a wicked, evil, horrible disease. Yeah, but it affects everybody. I'll just briefly tell you that she wouldn't take... Any, she wouldn't eat anything, she wouldn't take a tablet, she wouldn't drink anything, and she did die within the month. And when she was getting close to death, I got the priest to come and, or the vicar, come and have a word with her. And we stood and hugged each other while the priest talked to mummy and prayed. And um, after he'd gone, mummy said, he's a nice man, I've no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> Helen, it's, it's been a delight <laughs> talking to you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Rob. If you've been looking after someone with dementia. It would be really good if you could let us know about some positive elements, some episodes that made you smile and that leave you with some good memories of what is a terrible illness and is affecting so many people now. So if you would like to get in touch with some positive thoughts about helping people with dementia, please get in touch. Sue at SherbourneVoicesPodcast.com. Let's do some what's on items. If you're very quick, you might still be able to get a ticket for tonight's audience with Leslie Garrett at the Octagon Theatre. It starts at 7.30pm and tickets are £18 or concessions £16.50. And you can ring the box office on 01935 422 or go to the website www.octagon-theatre.co.uk 
Another event you'll have to be quick for is an online event. It's a talk by Luke Mouland from the Sherborne Museum. And he's talking about, well, the title is On the Parish, Life in Dorset's Workhouses. I'm going to be tuning into it because my father was actually born in a workhouse in Wales. Luke will be speaking tomorrow, Thursday, the 7th of October, in aid of the Dorset Archives Trust. And he'll be talking about the plight of the Dorset poor and what life was like inside the county's workhouses, particularly drawing on records held at the Dorset History Centre. So we'll be hearing true stories of inmates from the Beminster, Sherborne and Winborne unions, stories which tell of scandal, corruption and hardship. And we'll be learning how the very design of the workhouses themselves was intended to deter the needy from seeking refuge within. This online event will be held at 7pm tomorrow evening via Microsoft Teams. And for further details or to book your ticket, you can go to... It's a very long link. So I suggest you pause this recording and go and get a paper and pencil to jot it all down. Because Luke's a very good speaker and I wouldn't want you to miss it. Ready? Here we go. Essentially, you need to go to www.eventbrite.co.uk forward slash e forward slash on hyphen the hyphen parish hyphen life hyphen in hyphen dorsets hyphen workhouses hyphen tickets hyphen one seven four one o seven two o eight three four seven or you could go to the Facebook page Sherborne A Trip Back to the Past Two Number Two and you'll find Luke's post and you'll be able to click on the link and go directly to the site to book your ticket. You've probably noticed that things are starting to take shape in pageant gardens and on the terraces in preparation for Pack Monday Fair, which starts tomorrow, Thursday, and goes on until Monday, where there is the street fair with lots of stalls, etc., in Cheap Street and beyond. A big highlight for the local calendar and we didn't have it last year so we make the most of it this year. And I can tell you that one well-known person in the town uses Pack Monday as the day when she's allowed to put the heating on if necessary. I'm afraid I've already had mine on. And because it's Pack Monday there are traffic restrictions and diversions. On Monday, it appears to be just Monday, the 11th of October, between midnight, so the very start of Monday, until midnight of the following day. So the whole 24 hours of the 11th of October. And the following roads will be closed. Higher Cheap Street, Cheap Street, Digby Road and Station Road for their entire lengths. The green between Hospital Lane and Cheap Street. South Street, between Half Moon Street and the northern side of the access to Wallace House, Half Moon Street, between South Street and Trendle Street, 
Long Street from its junction with Cheap Street to the entrance of Culver Hayes Car Park and Newland from its junction with Cheap Street eastward for a distance of approximately 100 metres. There's an alternative route for diverted traffic, so traffic wishing to use Cheap Street will be diverted along the A30 towards Cold Harbour, then along North Road, Newland, New Road, Gas House Hill Lane and South Street to the southern side of the entrance to Wallace House. There is no reverse route as Cheap Street is one way southwards. For South Street, Long Street, Half Moon Street, Digby Road, Station Road and Newland, there are no alternative routes during the closures. One more thing, again on Monday, the 11th, there will be no parking. Parking will not be available on the following roads at any time on Monday. Ackerman Street, Lower Ackerman Street, Westbury, Hospital Lane, North Road, St. Swithin's Road and New Road for their entire lengths, Hound Street between Cheap Street and Hound Street Car Park and Long Street between Cheap Street and St. Swithin's Road. So basically leave the car in a car park or at home and walk. You can get more information and a map showing you these areas in case you're a visitor by going to the Dorset Council site and that's www.dorsetcouncil all one word .gov.uk forward slash travel Dorset all one word This coming Friday lunchtime recital at Cheap Street Church at 1.45 will be Woodwind Recital number 1. Free admission, all are welcome. The Yetminster and Rhyme Intrinsica Walking Group are meeting this coming Saturday, the 9th of October, at 2pm, and they're meeting at the Gallery Cafe to start their walk. Remember to wear suitable footwear, and sociable dogs on short leads are welcome. Now, there's been a change to the talk provided by Sherborne Historical Society for the 12th of October, Tuesday the 12th. It will now be a talk entitled Stonehenge in the 20th Century, the Modern Story of an Ancient Monument, and it will be given by Susan Greeny. Talks are held at the Digby Hall in Hound Street, Sherborne, and begin at 8 o'clock. In the evening. I think you can get a ticket on the door. It certainly used to be the case. But there is a phone number on their website. It's 01963 370 It does say that on their website that masks are required for moving about in the foyer to the toilets etc and they won't be providing tea and coffee before the talk as they have done in previous years. Sunday the 17th of October is a busy day locally. Not only is it the day for the monthly Sherborne market but it's also another open day 
for Sherborne Steam and Waterwheel Centre. You can go and visit and see the water wheels working and engines working between 11.30 in the morning and 3.30 in the afternoon. Entry is by donation and they can accept cards as well as cash. More information from www.sswc.co.uk On Monday the 18th of October at 7.30, Fascinating Aida will be performing. You're bound to have seen some of their performances on YouTube or Facebook, if not on television. And their songs are very funny and usually very topical as well. Fascinating Aida are performing at the Westlands Centre. Tickets £27, concessions £25.50 and footlights discount applies. And you can get tickets from www.westlandsyeovil.co.uk And if you haven't picked up the autumn winter brochure for the Octagon and Westlands, get yourselves a copy because it's packed with really good shows. If you need to take a break on a Thursday, you can have coffee or tea between 10 and 11.30am at Cheap Street Church Hall. Everyone's welcome. Every second Tuesday, the Somerset and Dorset Family History Society have family and local history sessions at Sherborne Library between 11.30 in the morning and 1.30 in the afternoon. You can get help with your family research. Everybody's welcome. And for more information, phone 01935 812 683. On Friday the 15th of October at the Digby Hall at 7.30, there's going to be a screening of Lawrence after Arabia, followed by a director's talk. Now, that'd be interesting. The film tells of the last years of T.E. Lawrence, i.e. Lawrence of Arabia, when he retired to his cottage in Dorset and hoped to forget about his past. I shall say no more. And the writer and director, Mark J.T. Griffin, will talk about the film after we've seen it and his lifelong interest in T.E. Lawrence. Tickets are £8 and can be booked online at www.eventbrite, that's E V E N T B R I T E eventbrite.co.uk and then search for Lawrence After Arabia. This week's podcast photograph is of the memorial to the people who sadly lost their lives in the Sherborne bombing on the 30th of September 1940. As I think I said last time, I went on one of the guided walks that are about the bombing of Sherborne. I'd only ever heard about the area around about the Melbury Gallery and the Pear Tree, but there was quite a lot more damage, and there were, in fact, three separate trails of bombs, totalling 650, that fell in three minutes, killing 18 people, and all by mistake. During the war, the only way of identifying the place where the bombs were to be dropped, and that's for the Allies or the Germans, was by using what was called dead reckoning, where essentially you were looking out 
directly below the plane and seeing if the terrain matched up to what you were looking for. The German bombers were looking for Westlands and at the time the terrain looked very similar to where they dropped their bombs in Sherborne. There was the railway line, there were fields, there was a kind of row of buildings up to a larger building and they made the mistake and dropped them in Sherborne. Years later the German air ministry did acknowledge that it was a mistake and they had not meant to bomb Sherborne. But in the event, there was a lot of damage on this sleepy little town and 18 people died. During the walk, we heard accounts of memories from people who survived it and their memories from of Sherborne Prep School, of seeing a house opposite on fire. There was a lovely story about a little boy who was in Woolworths and hid under the table. One of the assistants told him to hide under the table. And the exciting thing for him was that it was a sweetie counter. And the shaking of the building resulted in him being able to get lots of sweeties which fell onto the ground beside him. It was a a very good walk. I mean, walk as in exercise, because we went a long way along Lensay Road and round Richmond Road and other streets I can't remember, but full of information from Paul Birkbeck, who led the walk. You may not know, the Half Moon pub looks like an old pub, but in fact was built in the 50s. It was completely rebuilt after it was damaged by the bombing. And if you've ever noticed the gap between the pear tree and the half moon pub, that was actually a shop. I can't remember which one now, sorry. But it was left as a gap, as a memorial to the people who died in that building. And it was very poignant to see the memorial with the names of the people who died at our war memorial in front of the abbey. And then later on that day, on the 30th of September, relatives of those who died leave flowers which remain there for however long. So I'd just like to say how much I enjoyed it. And I would certainly recommend that next year, when all being well, Paul will do three visits again. I would certainly recommend you go on one of them. It was a morning well spent. So thanks to Sherborne Walks for that. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Enjoy Pack Monday Fair. Remember that there will be lots of people and even if you're outside, you're going to get very close to lots of people. So think about wearing a mask. I shall say no more than that. But there are lots of events and entertainment on. So enjoy it. And I hope the rest of your week goes well. And I'll be with you again next Wednesday with another episode of Sherborne Voices podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Rob and Helen for sending us the interview. So until the next time, stay safe. And this is Sue Hill signing off for Sherborne Voices podcast. Bye for now.